every time Monique touched the puck during a game, one of our own parents would yell very, very loud that everyone could hear, would yell at her to pass the puck. It was like every time she touched the puck, he would yell. And so another parent on our team, it went and went and talked to this dad, but we kind of dealt with things like that or our entire career playing with boys. And you just kind of, we didn't let it bother us. I think we're kind of just so focused on being the best we could be that we didn't let that type of stuff phase us. But we also had just a singular focus of we're going to be one of the best players on the ice and there's going to be no argument that we should be out here. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey, there's Michelle and welcome back to the show. I am so excited to share today's interview with you. Joining us are the Olympic ice hockey gold medalist from 2018, Jocelyn Lamoureux Davidson and Monique Lamoureux Morando. The twins have an incredibly inspiring story where they started to play hockey at the age of two and a half with their four older brothers and their careers skyrocketed. So they started playing on all boys teams in North Dakota because there weren't any co-ed teams. And ultimately they went on to win six world championships, three Olympic medals, including a gold medal in the 2018 Olympics in South Korea. They continued to face barriers and unequal treatment. But they didn't allow those roadblocks and the discrimination to deter them from taking on their governing body, USA Hockey, in an epic battle for more equal treatment. And they and their teammates threatened to boycott the 2017 World Championships, risking their ability to compete in the 2018 Olympics unless their gender equity issues were addressed. So they were addressed, they did win, and In this interview, you will hear stories of the adversities that they faced, how their parents really instilled in them core values about how to dream, how to have confidence, how to achieve goals, and also to serve and help others. It's really such an inspiring story, and I'm so excited to share it with you today. I do have to say that before I launched my podcast, I remember in February of 2018 watching Jocelyn and Monique and their teammates win the gold for the United States and being so deeply moved. And I had had the idea of launching this podcast, but hadn't yet. I didn't launch it until November of that year. And I remember thinking, wow, wouldn't it be so cool to launch my podcast and have these women on the show? And so I'm particularly excited and honored that they are on the podcast because that was a dream of mine to realize. Anyway, I wanted to just share that story before we jump in because their book is Dare to Make History, Chasing a Dream and Fighting for Equity. And there is a theme here about dreaming big and going for it. So I hope it inspires you as well to continue to keep dreaming and to go for your dreams. 
One quick side note, you will hear two voices. The first voice is Jocelyn's, and then the second person who speaks is Monique. At some point, about 15 minutes in, Monique has to jump off the interview because she's holding her baby, Sunny, who begins to cry. So then you'll just continue to hear Jocelyn and I speak for the rest of the interview. I loved this conversation and hope that you do as well. For all of you feminists out there like myself, I think you're going to love it. So let's get into the show. Here we go. Welcome, Jocelyn and Monique. So happy to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, your book is amazing, Dare to Make History, Chasing a Dream and Fighting for Equity. And I love how you write. This is not a hockey book. It is not a girl's book. It is a book about the importance of the fight for equity, particularly gender equity. I am all for that. This is an all-female audience. This is all about empowering women. And um, your book is so awesome. As I said to you before the mics went on, like I was so inspired and moved by everything that I read. Um, just for a little bit of fun before we start, I have to ask you, my married name is, we say, Lam- my husband's family says L- Lamoureux. Your maiden name is? Lamoureux. You, say, yep. you say Lamoureux. Yeah. Part yeah. of our family says Lamore and then some, and then the other part says Lamoureux. So it just depends which family <laughs> member you're talking to, but there's a, there's a lot of family members. So oh, it's so <laughs> funny. Okay. Well, my husband's family, all say Lamoureux. And then I don't know if you ever get calling customer service. Uh, Miss Lamorex, do you ever get that? Yeah, Lamorex. I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Anyway, okay. So you say our battle for gender equity in hockey has always been focused on the next generation of girls. We wanted to make sure that they would not face the same barriers that we had, that they knew the times were changing in education, sports, and the workplace. It's so powerful. Honestly, what you both have accomplished, and this was all before the age of 30, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is more than most of us will achieve in our lifetimes. And I'm not being hard on us. It's just you, what you've done is just really incredible what you've what you've accomplished. And I'd love for the female audience to be able to be inspired, not just by your story, but to learn maybe a couple actionable tips of how we can make an impact, how we can create success on our terms. So um You dedicate this book to your parents, who are also obviously remarkable people, um, Linda and Pierre, right? Yep. And you said, um, this book is dedicated to our parents who always encouraged us to dream big. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's one thing to talk about that and whatever, but they did things in your life that really empowered you to, to dream big. And I was wondering, could you each, could you share a message from each of them that you took away from your childhood that really instilled that within you? Well, I think our dad, when you, you mentioned how we define success for ourselves, our dad in the, in the sporting context, and we, we joke about it now with our brothers, um, about getting the face in the mirror speech before big games. Yeah. Um, it would be, can you, can you look yourself in the mirror after a game and say that you did your best? Did you work your hardest? Were you a good teammate? Did you take advantage of the opportunities or the ice time that you were given? And if you can say yes to yourself, then, then that's all you can do. And that's really how we defined success in our Mm -hmm. eyes. It was never about wins and losses and goals and assists. And obviously when you lose, it's disappointing, but it's not what defined us. Um, and we really took that to heart 
as we progress in our hockey careers and as we look back and we've said this multiple times, if, if we define success by gold medals and, and winning hockey games, what a short sighted view of what this journey can all be about. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, I think that's the biggest takeaway that our dad offered us growing up in sport. And it's really just been an impactful way that we've looked at our lives and what we want to accomplish. Yeah. And I think our mom in a, in a, our dad always got credit for like passing on his athletic genes because he was a division one athlete and our mom really flew under the radar. She started running marathons after she had six kids and she was a swimmer and a, and a good swimmer in her own right. And so our mom was always subtly, I think subtly planting seeds and always putting strong female athletes in front of us. Like we never, we weren't old enough to watch Jackie Joyner Kersey compete, but my, our mom gave us her book and she always put the Olympics on and we watched, I mean, I, Bonnie Blair, for example, we never saw her complete, but we knew her story. And so our mom always put strong females in front of us and showed us examples of what female athletes could do and what they could accomplish. And I think is she also in having twins and having the dilemma of which twin do I cheer for when we're competing against each other in the, in the many different sports that we played. Um, she would always tell us she was, well, I'm going to cheer for the one behind. And so I think with that lesson, it really transcended well beyond just the competition aspect and being a good teammate and helping others and helping ones that might be struggling. And I think that's something with the, our parents, I think, complimented each other so much that it really gave us a well-rounded view of what athletics, what you should get from athletics. It's amazing. And I love the story of your mom running the Boston Marathon. I, I'm from Boston. We moved to San Diego five years ago, but I'm an East Coast girl. And um, with all the little kids at home, you know, training, it was like a year after you guys were born that she started training. Yeah, basically what happened, the, the priest at church asked her when she was due and we were born two weeks prior to that. And so she was like, oh my gosh, he asked me that. And so she started, she literally started running like the next week, like that. Um, and yeah, so she ran 25 marathons, I think before we were in seventh grade. Yeah. yeah. Before we were in seventh grade after, after we were born, which is just, it's just crazy when you think about, you know, having kids, having six kids and what that entails. I mean, I'm holding our second child right now and he's three weeks old and I can't imagine going and running a marathon or like training for one right now. So (laughs) with you, I have, I birthed one. I have two. I have a bonus son who's in his twenties and my daughter is 12, but I can't imagine. I was blown away by your mom's story, but she led by example too. You talked about how they instilled these values in you, but then also your mom modeled it. You know, your dad, as you mentioned, was a division one hockey player, but your mom also was running, you know, training for these marathons. The Boston marathon is like the toughest one in yeah, the country. So she didn't just do any marathon. She went, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, you think <laughs> she about get up at like 5. AM. Yeah. She would, she would wake up at 5. AM. She'd run during our practices sometimes. Um, and I think about, you know, as our, as our children get older, they're not going to see us compete. They're not, they're, 
they're not going to see what went into our training and our day to day, but with our mom and what she did, we, we saw what went into running marathons and that is no easy feat. And then to do it at the pace that she did, um, really just modeled it. And so we were really fortunate to see that on a day to day uh, basis, what it meant to set, what it would mean to set goals, showing up every single day and like taking the proper steps to try to achieve something, um, was pretty, I think, when you're going through it, it's just like, oh, mom's going for her run. But when you look back on it, what that modeled for us. Um, well, and I, I think of like when we were training and working and back before the 2018 Olympics and we had full-time jobs and training as athletes on top of that some days we'd have to get up at four 30 or five in the morning to get our workouts in and planning your day around, like figuring out when you're going to train. And I like our mom, she just naturally, she did that because she had, she'd get up early to run because she had six kids to get ready for school. So just thinking like how we just kind of model, we saw what she did and that just kind of came second nature for us, I think. Yeah. I think this is all fascinating. And I think for the women listening is going to all, it's just going to be so interesting because I also, you know, sometimes wonder like, is it within somebody when they're born, you know, do they have this, but it's like the nature versus nurture, you know, are you born with it or is it, but I think it's a bit of a combination. And you guys also wrote something that I love that said um, how you, your parents instilled the value of like sticking with things. And I thought this was genius. The point they wanted to get across to all of us was that you can't buy the things that help you succeed. You can't buy desire. You can't buy drive. You can't buy discipline. You can't buy confidence. But I'm wondering, just based on what you're saying, you know, what advice can you give the women listening? Because I think a lot of women sometimes put their careers on hold and come back to it. You know, all of a sudden it's like maybe kids are out of the house or they don't, kids don't need them as much. And they're like, well, who am I and where do I fit into all of this? You know, what can we learn about how you sort of cultivated that within yourselves and maybe some advice to some woman who's kind of second guessing her sense of, you know, self in the world these days. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we're, we're going through that right now. Um, we, I, so yeah, with our retirement. Um, but I think, so I think we've kind of, we've been through it once in a way and now Mm. we're going through it again in a different way as, as, as moms. And I think, um, as far as hockey was, is concerned, um, we just always had the confidence of we were going to do whatever it took to be the best we could be and let the chips fall where they may. Um, but from a, from a negotiation standpoint, which we go into depth in the book um, that us and our team went through, um, it was really just knowing what we deserved and basically just standing by that and knowing that if the, if this is what we're going to do, and this is the time that we're going to put into representing this organization, we deserve to be treated better. Um, and so that I think was such a big learning lesson and what we're taking into our lives now as new moms and what does that look like? You know, they're going to be in school, but they're not going to be in school for another, what, five, six years. And this transition period of trying to figure out what are we going to do? What does it look like now? Um, It's just a really, it's kind of difficult. Like it's a little bit of a mental challenge for us because Mm -hmm. we're so used to having something every single day. Um, And when you have kids, it's obviously all the time every day, but (laughs) Um, trying to figure out what we're going to do and then finding that balance and what works in your life and not being afraid to ask for that. If you're trying to juggle work and a job and your family life. And I think COVID is almost 
offered that flexibility a little bit more um, as far as time goes. And so I think it's being willing, willing to ask and then knowing your value, like, Hey, this is what I bring to the table, but I need more flexibility here. Um, I think, you know, people are willing to, to work and are more understanding of what the, what the polls are for working moms and the, the stresses that come with that. Um, so it's just being willing to, to ask, I think, and to know, know what you bring to the table. Yeah. And I think to the confidence piece, um, when it comes to athletics for, for us is our, we, I think from a young age, just because of our parents and the good coaches that we had, we realized that if you're looking for confidence from others and from coaches and from out outside sources, sometimes you're, you're not going to get it. Or if you do get confidence from that, it's, it's not a sustainable um, form of confidence or resource for confidence. It's got to come within from within. And for us, the way that we gained our confidence was just through our preparation and doing stuff every single day to make sure we were at our best and knowing that we put the work in. And we always had this mindset that we were never going to be outworked. There might be players that might be faster than us that might have um, a different set of skill sets that might be better than ours, but we knew that we would never be outworked. And that was an intangible thing that we had. And I think gave us such confidence that when we went into competition, I think you can apply that to everyday life when it comes to work and whether it's a presentation or you got to go into negotiations or however that would apply to your profession. So true. And I so appreciate you. Um, acknowledging that you're in that transition now, which makes sense because you've had this amazing career and now it's like, you still have so much you're going to do, but now you're in this transition period again, which is, it's not that it just happens at midlife too, right? It happens at different stages, depending on where you are within your own journey. So I appreciate that. And also with confidence coming from within and showing up and doing the hard things, right? To build like doing creates the confidence. I think that's all Really yeah, and nice. I think for, for women, like especially for women that are pursuing um, careers, it's usually you you become successful, and then it's like, okay, I'm ready to have kids, and then you have kids, and then your whole world shifts, and okay. then your priorities might shift, or how you want to pursue your professional career might shift, and so I think, and then in figuring out finding an employer that's going to be in fle- be flexible with you, and I think that is a more professions are being more accepted of working moms and being more flexible with them. But that, I mean, you think of women that have to fit, it's just such a transition period. And like Jocelyn said, we're really in the middle of figuring it all out right now to it. And with that, as I'm holding our baby, that's (laughs) exactly sunny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. So you learned at a young age that you had to work harder then the boys at hockey and you started playing at two and a half years old. You had four older brothers who played. I mean, you were like right in it and there were no girls teams, right? In North Dakota. Right. Yeah, is that there's, right? no girls, there's no girls teams for us to play on. So how were you treated once you got into more competitive hockey? Cause you know, I'm just curious by your teammates, the boys, you know, any stories you can share of adversities or even parents or coaches, like how were you treated? Yeah. So I would say at a younger age, um, it was fine. Uh, Monique and I, we were always very aware that if we wanted to compete with the boys and be accepted, we, we couldn't just get by, we needed to excel and be one of the best players on the ice. And, uh, when we played with and on the boys teams, we, we were some of the best players every single year. And I would say about the age 
uh, the age of puberty, basically, um, yeah. when we got into sixth grade <laughs> and um, the games became more physical is when we started to notice a shift in attitude, um, more so in our teammates mm. and the parents of those teammates. Um, the teams that we played against, there was always kind of an attitude and mo- parents and moms, to be honest, were the worst with yelling from the stands. Um but I would say about sixth, seventh grade, when we you start hitting that puberty age, and boys start to take it way more personal that that girls you were better. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> was when we noticed that shift. And in the book, we we reference one story. Every time Monique touched the puck um, during a during a game, one of our own parents would yell very, very loud that everyone could hear. Would yell at her to pass the puck. It was like every time she touched the puck, he would yell. And so another parent on our team had went and went and talked to this dad. But um, I mean, we kind of dealt with things like that or our entire career playing with boys. And you just kind of I mean, we were we didn't let it bother us. I think we're kind of just so focused on being the best we could be that we didn't let that type of stuff phase us. But we also had just a singular focus of we're going to be one of the best players on the ice and there's going to be no argument that we should be out here. Um, and that's really the attitude we, we took into our entire career and why we, we made the national team at a really young age. And, um, yeah, I think it's, it's unfortunate now. Like I look back on those experiences and things that parents would say to us. And now that, that I'm a parent, I'm like, Mm. that's really, really sad that parents were, were like that towards us. Like, I can't imagine saying some of those things to, to a young girl or a young boy that, that my son's playing on a team with, like, it's really sad when you think about it, but unfortunately I think parents get um, these parent goggles on and can't really see the bigger picture of, of what's best in the, the reality of, of life. <laughs> totally. And you know, what's so funny. They're probably like, Oh, my son played with Jocelyn and Monique. Now they're probably bragging about the fact that they were probably. on the same team yeah, <laughs> right? at the time. They were like giving you a hard time. Well, you guys obviously realized your dream of becoming Olympic gold champions. That 2018 game. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday watching with my daughter and my husband. And it was, I was in tears. I was like, it was so powerful and so amazing. Um, I'm sure like one of the most powerful memories of your life and, and Monique's as well and the whole team. Um, at some point though, your journey in your journey, you realized that you had a greater mission and it was right before this, that things started to, to change in terms of the equity. Can you take us into the story of what was going on? Like paint us a picture of what these inequities look like, not just for women's teams, but it sounds like girls teams versus men's and boys youth hockey. Right. I mean, there was like yep. some major stuff happening. Yeah. So in, we both graduated from college in 2014, 2015. And so we continued our national team career and we weren't being compensated. So we were working, I was working full time, training full time. Um, and after, you know, six, seven months, I'm like, it should not be this hard to, to compete when you're this good at what you do. And it wasn't like, my story is not unique. We had every single teammate had a similar story that the players before us had similar stories. And 
we knew what the men were getting. We knew what boys teams were getting and we knew that that's what we were not getting. And so at, at some point you have to, you know, make a decision or are we going to be, are we going to be a voice for change? Or are we just going to commiserate every time we get together and talk about these things? And so in 2015, um, I picked up the phone. I got the number of John Langle, who used to represent women's soccer. I cold called him. I explained to him who I was um, calling on on behalf of our team and um, basically asked if he and, and the firm would represent us because um, we were looking for, for change within our organization. And we knew he had the experience of working with NGBs or national governing bodies. So USA Hockey would would be who he would be negotiating with. And he put a team together of four other lawyers, they four other women who played collegiate sports. And Love so um, it was John and then four other women and then all of us. Um, and so we basically started a, a two-year journey of trying to negotiate with USA Hockey. And we virtually within, I would say it was like a year and a half um, of negotiations where we we didn't accomplish anything. Like Basically, because they were being no, stubborn, they were being stubborn. Yeah, like no, no significant progress had been made. They had offered to pay us more during the six months leading up to the Olympics, but we still train every single year, day in and day out, every single season. So you're talking, we're if we're talking the Olympics or every four years, you're talking about supporting us for six months out of every four years. Insane. Can you pay? Can you explain how much were men getting paid? So just give us an example of like what a men's team would be getting. Well, so we, so the, what we try to be very clear and concise on is that we weren't asking for equal pay because the men's team and the men's players, they play in the NHL. So right. they're supported by the NHL Got it. The profit business. Yeah. We were asking for a livable wage uh, because what the time that we give to USA hockey from tournaments camps um, is is just exponentially more than what the, what the men commit to USA hockey. Cause the men, if they play in a world championship, it's three weeks out of the year. We were going to a camp or a tournament every six to eight weeks. Unbelievable. And all having full-time jobs. So, um, so you wrote this too, cause I think this is interesting. You said in 2014, USA hockey, which reported revenue of $43 million spent 1 million on the women's national team and allocated 3.5 million to the boys team. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that said a lot. I was like, oh, that's not cool. No. Yeah. So we were asking for a livable wage and then for more equitable support across girls and women's programs. So when yeah. you're when you're forking over 3.5 million for the U17 and the U18 boys teams, yeah. there should be a comparable budget for the girls programs or or we should be, if the men's team is going uh, to a world championship, how they're treated as far as flights, a family fund to have families yeah. come over. But so say that, because in the book, you're right, they, they flew business class and you guys were like in the back of the plane, right? Yeah, Just some coach. It, it's yeah. Monique and Hillary Knight were <laughs> on a seven hour flight in the very last row in the chair that wouldn't recline. <laughs> like pretty much sitting in the toilet. <laughs> um, nice. And so we, we really tried to paint a picture of it. it. wasn't just about getting us paid. We wanted a livable wage so we didn't have to work a full-time job. But it's understandable. It, You're training every single day. I mean, it's exhausting. Right. Yeah, it, it was very exhausting. Um, yeah. 
but then creating more equity for the generations coming up for having more opportunities for the girls programs and the U18 team and um, how you market boys hockey. You should market just as much for girls hockey, if not even more, because there's more room for growth for girls to play. Um, And so we really just wanted to paint a more um, equitable picture for girls hockey in the U S. And so I think, that's why we were able to accomplish what we did and had the support that we did. Um, because when we were unable to make significant progress in negotiations, our team, our entire team announced that we weren't going to play in the world championship unless we came to an agreement that, um, that we thought was going to benefit, you know, our team, but also girls and women's hockey. And so what ended up happening was, uh, USA hockey tried to replace us and basically everybody said, no, um, they went to division one hockey players. They went to division three hockey players. They went to club team players and wait a second. They wanted to replace you versus negotiate. That to me is so old school thinking. Cause there's a part you write. And I lived something like this. And when I worked in corporate with this idea that you should just be happy that you get to play, or you should be happy. You're being paid to learn. I was told. Right. That, that did get said in a, in a meeting during unbelievably old, like patriarchal nonsense. Like the fact I I didn't realize they're trying to replace you versus just negotiate. So they, they tried to replace us. Wow. The table to negotiate and then actively tried to replace us while we were kind of getting to an agreement and it, it was really not in good faith, but we ended up coming mm. to to a historic four year agreement, which is actually up um, at the end of this month. Um, what does that but, mean? Is it going to get renegotiated, or yeah, so it's getting it's it's getting renegotiated right now? Meetings are going on right now, um, and so hopefully, what we created um, in the first contract is just the foundation, and we'll continue to build on that. Totally. But, um, yeah, what we, what we were able to accomplish will change the trajectory of women's hockey in the U S but also set a precedent of how women's national teams should be supported in the world. Um, and it's something that, you know, obviously Olympic gold medal is something that we've worked our entire lives to try to achieve, but that will definitely be one of the most proud moments um, in our careers being with team USA is those negotiations and what we were able to accomplish. It's huge. What you've done is like I said, you'll, you've accomplished more before you were 30 years old, you and Monique, than most of us will ever do. You wrote something in the book that I just was like, this is powerful. One group, one voice, unbreakable. Can you speak to that? I mean, I'm wondering what we can do with this kind of a mindset, one group, one voice, unbreakable, this idea that coming together, I mean, unbreakable is powerful. And you were, because you, could you, could you explain what this was in regard to how everyone came together? Yep. So when we were going through negotiations, it wasn't just, when I say we, it wasn't just my sister and I and a couple other players, it was our entire national team pool. So the roster plus the players that are trying to make the team, um, we're, we're in this together. And so when we announced the boycott, it was our roster. It was those other, you know, 15, 20 players, plus the U 22 team, plus the U 18 team. And we ended up basically phoning it. What seems like every American player that was over the age of 18 in the U S within a two week span. Um, Basically to explain what was going on and if they yeah. got a call, if they, 
you know, we, we wanted, we asked them to, you know, stand with us in solidarity and what that meant was, you know, we, we had one chance at this or it's going to take, you know, another generation for this. Totally. Um, so we knew that we had to be one voice in all of this to create, to create substantial change. And so, um, it was one thing that, that Julie Foudy had said, um, and who's that? Who's Julie? All right, so Julie Foudy played for the U.S. soccer team in uh, the late late uh, nineteen. She was on the '99 World Cup team, then played uh, in the early 2000s with U.S. soccer, and um, she was instrumental in, in in explaining what their team had gone through and tactics, um, and making sure that we were that we were one voice and truly unbreakable. Because if if there was four or five players that said, "Yeah, I'm going to go play," right. other players would have done that as well. And we didn't have, you know, as far as we know, they could even feel the a starting lineup. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's such a, it's such a great story. Isn't there a hockey player that had tried? I can't remember her, who, what her name was. There was somebody who said, thank you. Like a decade before I was trying to push for this and got nowhere. So it's like, we're standing on our sister's shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. So people go certain uh, go certain distance and then the next group takes it further down the field. Right. So, yeah. So I know, um, in 2000, I believe it was prior to the 2002, 2006 was similar things were kind of lingering. Yeah. Um, and the players, I don't think were necessarily prepared for the pressure that they were going to face from USA yeah. hockey. Um, and, that group kind of fractured a little bit. Um, and so we just, we were prepared for that. We were prepared for phone calls to go out to try to replace us. And basically we we didn't blink. We didn't flinch. Um, love it. And you know, I, and I, it's, that's not a knock on the previous teams. I just think we learned, we learned so much from their experience from us women's soccer's experience and just women being more open about, their journey to, to ask for more, to get what they deserve. Women who are willing to walk away because you know what, I'm not valued here, so I don't need to be here anymore. And we've just learned so much from, from the women who had come before us. Totally. And as you know, you know, this is happening in corporate and everything with C-suites and not having enough representation in every, you know, decade, like there's more of a push and, and more progress. I have some questions from some young female hockey players if you don't mind, just a couple. Yeah, of course. Okay. So we have Mia Daly, who is a 12 year old badass center. She plays <laughs> hockey. She's so good. This is my friend from college's daughter, my friend Jill's daughter. And she asks, what do you most enjoy about playing hockey or did, and what motivated you? I mean, we covered some of this, but what would you say to, what would you say to her? I think, you know, when I, now being retired, I love the most is just being with teammates and like working towards a common goal. Um, I think when you don't have that, you realize what a special um, group, how special it is to be a part of a group that's just working towards a common goal. It doesn't matter where people come from. It doesn't matter people's you know, life experiences, you have all these people coming together to try to accomplish uh, one goal. Um, and so I think being able to to play on a team for so long and to play at an elite level is, is what, that's what I love the most. Um, and yeah, that's, that's definitely just teammates and, and trying, trying to win games and, and 
you know, chase childhood dreams. Love it. I love it. Um, Elena Fireman writes on behalf of Zoe, her eight-year-old who just started hockey. She's so cute. Um, so this is, and Jill wanted to know me as mom, what advice would you give to your younger selves, girls coming out to coming up today? Like, what would you tell them knowing what, you know? Well, I think, um, you know, what I would specifically tell myself was, um, don't take myself so seriously. I think when we played with boys, um, we were always so serious. And so like, we need to be, you know, we have to be the best. We, we can't not be, you know, one of the best players. I think we just, we were so focused that it almost, um, we thought that, you know, cracking a smile, um, made it seem like maybe we weren't as serious about what we were doing. So I think that's, that's specific to, to me, what I would yeah. say to myself, but, but what I, what I like to say to young girls is, um, you have to dream big for yourself. It can't come from, from your parents or from friends or from anyone else, because if you don't dream big for yourself and set big goals for yourself, no one else will, and no one else will try to accomplish those things for yourself, for you. Um, and so if there are things that, that you see that you want to be, or, or things that, that haven't even been accomplished yet, um, and you want to be the first, um, you know, set, set those goals and, and just dream big. I love it. Well, let's talk to the women listening then. So what advice would you leave the women listening about daring to dream big, you know? So whether they're transitioning because like you guys in your early thirties or fifties or 70, I don't care how old you are. If you've got that dream in your heart, what advice would you give? I think just, you know, recognizing the the things that you prioritize and making making a life and a, a situation or a scenario, how you want it and figure out what it is exactly that you want, because you can't ask for it if you don't know what you want. Um, and so I think, you know, that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out right now. I think my husband asked me like every other day, what do you want to do? What are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know yet. Like, I know I want to do something that's meaningful. I don't want to sit at a desk all day. I know a lot of things that I don't want to do. Yeah. Um, but I think it's big, figuring out how to create the life that you want, you have to, you have to figure out what you want. And I think sometimes that takes time. Um, Mm -hmm. and having transition periods is okay. And I think as women, um, especially, um, if you're, if you're going through, you know, potentially, you know, you're having new kids or they're, you're empty nester now and what that life transition looks like is different for everyone. And having those moments of, transition is okay. And everyone goes through, them. Um, goes through those moments at different, different times in their life. And they work through them at, at a different pace. And that's okay to not always have the answer right then and right now. That's great advice. And do you have any daily habits, how, like self-care rituals? I mean, you're obviously an Olympic athlete. <laughs> uh, what do you do to stay fit, to take care of your body, your mind, your spirit? What do you, what do you guys do? So I would, I, I work out every day and I do it in the morning. Um, and I used to try to work out before my son would wake up. Um, but he wakes up too early for me to wake up. Before <laughs> him. So How old is he, week. Jocelyn? How old is he your did, son? He two, and we two. just took him to a big boy bed because he didn't like his crib anymore. And so we're going through that whole thing. Uh-huh. Um, but 
I would say that that's my biggest self care um, thing that I do every single day is I try to get a workout in. Um, I just, I, I feel better about myself physically. My energy is way better when I get up and work out. My energy just feels way better throughout the day. And um, the way, the way that I accomplish that, because I get asked this too, how do you, how do you commit to doing that every day? When I say every day, I'm like four or five times a week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Still good. Uh, I I set my workout clothes out at night, and those are the clothes that I set out to put on in the morning. So I don't even like putz around with what else I'm going to wear that day. I put my workout clothes in, out, and then my gym bag by the door, and that's 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 my routine. I've always done that, but I I recognize that sometimes it's just getting to the gym is the challenge for people, and totally. that's just always been a part of my routine because of the training that we've had to do. But I. I think that's the, that's the biggest key is if you get your workout clothes on, it's uh, harder to take them off without working out because you have kind of have that self guilt <laughs> guilt you into doing it. I love that. Um, can you leave the woman listening with your three best tips for living a good life? I think in be intentional, um, with whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and recognize that you can't be all things at once. So whatever you're doing, just be that. If you're if you're being a mom, be a mom. If you're at work, be at work. Um, I think that's been the biggest lesson I've had to learn uh, since becoming a mom. Um, number two would be, and it kind of goes with being intentional, but being mindful of others around you. I think it's really easy to get lost in our own day to day struggles and our own day to day running around in our busyness, um, to take time to recognize, you know, the people around us, um, you know, are they struggling? Am I being a good friend? Am I being a good spouse? Am I, you know, being the, am I recognizing other people, um, throughout, throughout my day to day? And then the third one would be take time for yourself. Um, I think it's hard to be our best selves if we're constantly giving ourselves to everyone else and to everything else. Um, if we can take time for ourselves and sometimes it just might be 10 minutes. I like to work out. That's my time to give back to myself, but sometimes we don't have that time in the day. So finding, you know, 10, 15 minutes, um, throughout the day to, to just be, just be with ourselves and, um, whether that's meditating, I don't meditate, but I know some people who do or go right. for a walk, um, right. just, to be our best, we we have to also, you know, give ourselves time to. That's great advice. You guys are giving back. How can we give back? I'd love people to be able to follow you. Where can they find you? I saw a post you guys did where you donated from P&G. Monique and I have a foundation, the Monique and Jocelyn Lammer Foundation, and it gives back to basic needs for kids in the North Dakota community. Um, and so, for example, we we donated uh, money and feminine products um, through partners with P&G and Always uh, for, for girls in the Grand Forks community. Um, but you can go to LamaruTwins.com and our foundation information is on our webpage. Um, but that's, that, that is one thing that we have figured out is our foundation and giving back in a, in a capacity that we feel like really makes a difference and not just in sports, but in life. And so that's something that, that we're continuing to grow and put more time into. Absolutely. Well, and on social, I'll link those. I have your social media, put that. And where can people find the book on Amazon? 
That's where I got yeah, it. You can go Amazon, uh, I believe Target, Barnes & Noble was out of stock. So I'm oh. not sure if you're back in stock yet. That's um, a good though. That's a good you thing. Can try, you can try your local bookstore, but I know Amazon's pretty convenient these days. <laughs> um, so much gratitude for the work that you and your sister Monique have done. Thank you so much, Jocelyn, for taking the time to be here today. We will continue to be cheering you on and look forward to seeing what other amazing things that you do. And we just wish you and your beautiful families just the best. So thank you so much. This is really such an honor for me today. So thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.